Before we start today's show, I want to give a shout out to our partners for this podcast, Vitality. They are an essential part of me being able to facilitate these conversations. I've been an ambassador now with Vitality for several years and always the one thing that stands out most for me is just how much they care about people's health and are so keen to enhance their experience of life whatever way they can. They understand as much as I do. I think it's never about quick fixes or the one pill fixes everything. It's about the small, healthy, proactive behaviours sustained through a lifetime that can lead to incredible differences. Not only does Vitality protect members with award-winning cover, but they also offer discounts on gym membership, trainers, activity trackers and healthy food too. So you can take the small steps to make the meaningful changes. Head to vitality.co.uk for more information. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, welcome back to I Am, the podcast that explores the possibilities and potential that we can access as human beings. I'm your host, Johnny Wilkinson. It was a really nice touch this week to be able to converse with someone who I followed with great interest during their sporting career. Someone who also was willing to share some deeper, challenging personal stories where so much power lies. Justin Langer had a long and brilliant stint in professional cricket as a key member of a legendary Australian national team and has since gone on to coach them too. During his tenure in charge of his squad, they went on to take back the Ashes, win their first ever T20 World Cup, earn their way back to the coveted number one world ranking spot. And having just resigned from his coaching post, I caught Justin at what I think is a great time and in a great space for a chat about all things potential, performance and helping others. Just to let you know that I always release an episode early in the week, a few days before the main guest interview becomes available. And in this sort of 10 to 20 minute slot, I attempt to set the scene for the upcoming conversation and share some of my own ideas and thoughts as well. I can get pretty intense about this sort of stuff, so I'm going to warn you ahead of time, I can go off on one. But I'm also very keen to use this opportunity to incorporate some responses to any questions I receive as well. I'm really enjoying hearing from anyone listening in, so if something arises in you, thoughts, feelings or anything that you feel you want to know more about, do not hesitate to email me on hello at iampodcast.co.uk or just leave a comment in the review section on Apple Podcasts. Today, though, it's all about the guest and a chance to hear their wisdom, their learnings, passions and stories. And I do love this bit. I love being part of it. I hope you do too. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Johnny Wilkinson. This is the I Am Podcast with Justin Langer. Mr. Justin Langer, wow, what a pleasure. Thanks for joining us from across the world. Real privilege to have you here and excited about crossing the sporting boundary a bit, but definitely looking into some important stuff, interesting stuff. So how are you first? How are you going, mate? Well, I'm equally pumped to be talking to you, mate. We, <laughs> we, we caught up, must have been six to 12 months ago. And yeah. I'd listened to a podcast, you've done that high performance podcast, and I listened to it a few times. I said, gee, man, like I've been studying this guy for a few years since you broke our heart in the World Cup. <laughs> and I, I read a couple of your books and then we caught up and it was so cool. I, I love that. Uh, a lot's happened since though, Johnny. Uh, having, um, you know, I've just finished, I resigned from the head coach position of Australia. Finished at an extraordinary time. We won the T20 World Cup for the first time in our history. We won the Ashes. Uh, I think we're the number one team in the world at the time. But leading up to it, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, it was such an incredible time and it really tested me personally, 
but geez, I've learned some lessons. So, you know, I'm sitting here now happy, excited for the future and looking back on some probably a few scars for the last 12 months. Now there's a nice segue into the chat then, because that's exactly what we want to go into and all about your journey. And I'll throw some stuff in and to challenge you, I reckon there'll be some commonalities in there as well. But the podcast is about human potential. It's called I Am, looking into the individual, but really excited also to see what that looks like, not just in a reflective personal journey, but that kind of journey inside of certain discipline within teams as well against other teams and when you're being scrutinized by so many who have their views and opinions about what failure and success is what good and bad is what value and worth is and then when you have to be in charge of that and have to try and pull it all together and direct it now that's something that I'm going to be honest with you that I find enormously complex and as such the coaching that I do is very much individual so I have that I guess, simplicity where the person I'm coaching knows that I'm just there for them. I don't have anything to do with selection. I don't have any invested interest in kind of how the last game went. It's just simply, how do we get from where you are now to where we are then? But I guess maybe things aren't that simple. Is that a fair reflection of being a a coach compared to when you had your individual career? Oh, there's so much to this. As you know, I just thought, when you said I am, the I Am podcast, it's, it's freaky, right? Because, well, maybe the second book I wrote, it's called The Power of Passion. Nice. Right? Okay, yeah. Now, but I'll tell you why that's significant. Because in the introduction to that book, I wrote the paragraph, I am Justin Langer. And what happened is I wrote about everything that I knew about myself at the time. And the publisher at the time said, I don't think you should put that in there. And I, I was so keen to keep it in. And then what happened is, and this was a long time ago, I wrote, the most thing people talk to me about, I loved how you told us about yourself in the I am Justin Langer. And I recommend that to anyone. Write it down, what you're about. Know what you stand for. Know what you believe in. Know what your values are. And if you know, you're halfway there. Yeah. You're always going to get distractions and pushed off the path. But as long as you know you are, that's really important. The second part of that question, I love what you said about coaching. Just about two weeks after I uh, resigned from the head coaching position, the kid by the name of Cameron Bancroft, he's the kid who put sandpaper on the ball. And this is the kid who, if you lined up 10,000 people, he would be the last person I would have thought put sandpaper on the ball. He is elite professional. He is, works harder than any athlete I've ever seen in my life. And he's a great kid. Anyway, he rang me a week later and he says, oh, JL, you think you could come and we could have a coffee and you could just help with my batting because he's on a massive crossroads, right? I said, I'd love to. We went down to the nest and what you just gave me gave me energy because we went down there and I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do, mate, is I'm not the head coach anymore. I'm not a selector anymore. I love you. And I'm just going to share with you what I know about batting. And, Johnny, it was like freestyle coaching, man. Like when you're the head coach, you've got all this politics and agendas and everyone's got an opinion. This was freestyle coaching. And I watched him bat one day uh, just after we had our first hit and he messed around. And I was in the car driving home. I said, mate, where are you? And he goes, I'm in my hotel room. I said, pick up a cricket bat. I've worked it out for you. I've worked it out. He's going, what do you mean? Pick up the cricket bat. I said, at the moment he releases the ball, 
your head has to be over your little toe. Not your middle toe, not your big toe, not your back leg. And I said, hang on, just, and I got out of my car and I pulled off and I was sort of going, oh, yeah, that's right, over your little toe. I said, that's right, little toe, not anything else. And he's going, what do you mean? I said, just trust me, I'm your little, little toe. And he's in the room and he's, he said, well, when can I do that? I said, do it at practice tomorrow and do it in the, the next game. He's going, it can't be that easy. I said, no, it's not that easy, just do it. And he's got 100. He's got 100. <laughs> And then one week later in the Sheffield Shield final, which is the big final, he got the best 100. This is like the most exquisite innings you've ever seen. Johnny, it was freestyle coaching without any strings attached. And I just think now in professional sport, we get so handcuffed by what you can say, what you're meant to say, who's meant to be the boss, who isn't meant to be boss, the politics, the agendas. Oh, and I feel sorry for the athletes now because – they need freestyle coaching. People like you and I who love the game, who can just share what we have learned. And that's what it's like teaching's about and coaching should be about. I remember I wrote a letter to Sir Donald Bradman in 1995, the greatest player of our game, Sir Donald Bradman. And two things struck me about that. One, the first line of his letter was, I am humbled that you believe an octogenarian like myself can help you with your cricket. Like, this is the greatest of all time saying. And then this last line was, never become a slave to coaching. We need to keep that freestyle spirit and share what we know and listen and share and build that relationship. And to me, that's really powerful. Cool. Yeah. Uh, wow. So the passion thing is so, so big. And I can even just hear that pouring out of you. The I am part you're speaking about at the beginning, the great thing I thought you said in the middle of that was that I wrote this list where I was right then. Mm. And it's that absolute honesty of where I am right now, but it's not holding on to this is where I'm, I have to stay now. This isn't just me. And, th- and this podcast, I guess, is looking at that I that, that begins every one of those sentences you were talking about and saying I am, and then sort of saying with each of these years we go through or experiences we go through, are we moving back to opening up the eye or are we getting more and more lost in the bit that follows? You know, I'm a professional cricketer and are we holding on to that part or are we we letting that go to return more to what's in the eye behind the professional cricket? And when you mentioned passion, I'm then thinking, like you said, the power of passion, I'm kind of, that's a huge part of the eye, which can get lost, as you said, in that, coaching thing at the beginning it's just this passion everywhere and all of a sudden that handcuffing feels like passion turns to pressure and turns to duty and and what have you and do you feel like that's been part of the journey for you to sort of keep true to that passion and find that passion in everything regardless and and is that the outcome of these challenges I, I think absolutely we evolve we keep evolving we keep learning we have curious minds but I'm just trying to see, it'll be here somewhere. 2002, I published this book, right? When I saw it, you said, I am. I, I read it when we had some emails this morning. So this is only a few hours ago. I have not looked at this for, <laughs> no, I swear to God, I haven't looked at this. And, and I just got really excited because I'm writing things in. It actually says I'm the father of three beautiful daughters. Well, now I have four beautiful yeah, daughters, right? Even that's changed, um, yeah. All these things, but I haven't looked at this, and, and I even think about I, no single-minded pursuit is rewarding. I believe in the power and mystery of God. I, I often think about the meaning of life. I love kids and the freedom of youth. I think flexibility in life is important. So 
while we evolve probably professionally and we evolve as people, a lot of those things will probably be with me because they are what I'm passionate about, my family and my friends and sunrises and sunsets. I am so passionate about those things. But the evolution, Johnny, as you know, is the day after I resigned, I had to come back to Perth where I live, my hometown in WA here, and I stayed up in the granny flat because well, I had to go into two weeks isolation, and you'll love this. When I first built this house 20-odd years ago, we lived in you a know, lovely house, and so at the back of the house I built this five-by-five-metre room, which was then my gym. I was playing professionally. That was my gym. And the day I moved in, we've just built this beautiful house. I've got a big permanent marker, and I wrote, Above the door, the pain of discipline is nothing like the pain of disappointment. And my wife came in. She's gone, what are you doing? <laughs> this is our new house. You've just written on the wall. I said, no, this is, this is my room. This is my gym. And now that room over the last 20 years, now it's a 15-metre by 5-metre room. Actually, my daughter, who worked at the Saracens for three years, my oldest, she's home and she lives up there. And I said, so you can stay up there till you move out but you can't touch the walls because there is literally quotes and scriptures and poems all over the walls in my handwriting, right? The day after I resigned, Johnny, I woke up in the bed, that I, you know, I look up and this is like a really strange time in my life. My job as head coach is finished and I'd written this quote years ago and it says, what the caterpillar sees as the end of the world, the master sees as the butterfly. And that's like transformational. Like we keep evolving and call it transformational leadership. You're always transforming. And where a lot of people think come unstuck is, you know, they have adversity or things don't go their way and they stop. That's the end of the world. That's the caterpillar. But I think that the wise man or the wise woman, they see this as opportunity and to evolve and become the butterfly and keep evolving into having a, this wonderful life of passion, of, uh, of enjoyment and love. And I think that's what life's about, regardless of what the title you have on you is. Yeah, I, we had a guest a while back who said that you'd be surprised how far you can go when you hit rock bottom. It's that same understanding, it's, it's a limit. When you go past the limit, what did you expect to find there apart from just space and unknown? And, and if you already know what's past that limit, that's not past the limit, it's inside the limit. And I think that's the difficulty we have is thinking, well, hold on, if this happens, this is how it's going to be because this is what I've learned so far. But it, actually going beyond that is into new learning, new space and giving in to that transformation, which I think is for me anyway, is a big part of it. You know, not trying to own the transformation, but allowing it to take you where you're supposed to be. I'm just interested firsthand as a player, what was your journey like in terms of that pain of um, discipline and pain of disappointment idea. And how do you look back on it now from the position of where you are looking back? Mm. So I dreamed of playing test cricket for Australia. I dreamed of having a baggy green cap. But And actually in 1998 when I was, 1988 when I was 18 years old, our family did a time capsule. And what the time capsule was that we'd write a letter to ourselves and in the year 2000 we'd all open the letters and read it and see what had happened in 12 years. And I've still got the letter. I've got the letter in my desk here. <laughs> and I didn't see this letter. My, my mum passed. You talk about hitting rock bottom. I learned a great – my mum and my best friend died within a month of each other. 
And what I learned about that, as terribly painful as it was, if you can get through that, you can get through anything. You know, and, and that's a great lesson in life as well. But I wrote in that letter when I was 18 years old, if someone would give me a contract right now and say I would play cricket for Australia and be involved in Australian cricket for the rest of my life, I'd be the happiest person in the world. I wrote that when I was 18 years old. I'm now 51 years old and I've just resigned from the head coach of the Australian cricket team. Now, in that tells me the power. I don't understand why. I don't know the science about writing down, you know, your goals or your dreams, your ambitions. There's power in writing it down for some reason. Anyway, so I go back to my career. I, I dreamed about playing for Australia. I played my first test match. I then played five test matches relatively quickly. And then I got dropped for the first time. And it was to come to the 93 Ashes. Like, for a young Australian boy, we want to play in Ashes in England. We'd been watching it all these years, but I got dropped. Now, as you know, when things go, you can't see past the end of your nose and you think dream's over. But in that time, I recognised back then, you either quit or you learn and get better. And some amazing things happened to me as a 23-year-old, I'd say, boy. And one of them was that I learned, there was a guy by the name of John Wright he was a test opener for New Zealand and he's become a very successful coach. He's a bit of a hippie, righty. And at the end of that fifth test, when I was just about to get dropped, he came over to me and he probably had a beer in his hand and a cigarette. That was the way of the world then. But he said to me, I've been watching you, young man. I think you need to learn how to relax. You're trying so hard. And, and then he said, but I think you should learn transcendental meditation. Mm. And I said, well, transcendental what? I had no idea. I haven't heard, didn't even know what meditation was at the time. I didn't think anything more of it. I go home to Perth. I get dropped for the ashes. I open up the newspaper at mum and dad's little round glass table. I open up the local newspaper, big advertisement, learn transcendental meditation. Johnny, you and I both know the universe is talking to me, baby, right? So, <laughs> so I go and see this, this man by the name of Dennis in Smythe Road, Claremont. And I went there and he taught me transcendental meditation. And I've meditated every single day since. And then I meet Rod Marsh, who sadly passed away a few years ago, who was my, literally my hero a few months ago. And he was the head coach of the Cricket Academy or the Institute of Sports. So I went there and then he said, mate, you've got to transform. If you sit where you are now, you won't have a career. So I said, oh, okay. So we went about our business. And then I played the next five years, I played three tests, but I was evolving. Like my game was in domestic cricket. And then I eventually came back in, played 50 test matches. In 2001 in England, I got dropped again. I'm now 31 years old. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is, I get dropped. And that's it. That's the end of my career. Yeah. And then I went through the darkest period in England. I'm still on an Ashes tour but I'm not in the team for that first test. Ten days before, I was quitting. I was retiring. I was going to get on an aeroplane and go home because so I got such a dark place. And then I sat down with the coach and John Buchanan, Adam Gilchrist and Steve Waugh, the captain and vice-captain, who also, you talk about freestyle, they were, they were my mates. Right? They were, Steve Waugh was my hero and my mate, but he was also the captain. He dropped me back eight weeks before. I just said, that's it. I didn't talk to them. I didn't talk to them. I'll work it out myself. I'll train harder. I'll work harder. I'll work it out. I didn't talk to anyone. You know, I sat down with them and I talked it through with them. And 10 days later, I get this phone call from Steve Moore. Mate, you're playing the last test match. 
I said, what do you mean? I said, I'm batting worse than this mouse on my computer. No one can be batting worse. I'm in the worst place. He goes, no, I think you'd be a good opener. And then from there, I opened the batting with Maddie Hayden for the next six years. Oh, beautiful. But but 10 days before, Judy, I'm I'm leaving. I'm going home. I'd be the first one ever to, to retire during a test series. But that's how low I was, rock bottom. But then with mentors and friends and, you know, support, and then it just turns around. You've got to hang in there, hang in there, hang in there, learn, learn, learn. And, you know, that's how things happen in my cricket career. Even that last phrase, you've got to hang in there. I want to kind of go into that. I also want to just, what you're saying about writing a goal, I did that when I was seven or eight years old, exactly the same thing with all these goals underpinned by exactly the same understanding that if I get this, I will be the happiest person ever. And it's really interesting that you get it. And in the middle of it, if someone says, are you the happiest person ever? You'll, you'll be like, like you just said, no, at times I am really happy at other times. No, I'm not. But then when you look back on it, you realize that actually it was an incredibly happy period with all these things going up and down the power of having that defined vision and that dedicated single-mindedness. And I think it's so, so, so powerful, but it also comes with the understanding of, like I said, if it's deep down, what you're asking for is to be somewhere, which requires you to be growing and improving and be on top of your game. So you get what you need to be doing that. And it sounds like all of this was kind of what you needed and what you're asking for. And to turn away from it is actually to say, I want this, but I don't at the same time. But when you say just hang in there is to yeah, we've sort of had this before and you kind of just say, what if this is part of my journey to where I want to be as opposed to a wrong turn, but hanging in there isn't hanging in there. If it doesn't feel like hanging in there, if you kind of go into this thinking, oh, here's another challenge coming, this will probably just sort me out in a minute. So I'll just cruise by this one. All of that pain, I think is on some level necessary, but definitely a byproduct or at least part of that passion. For me, I'm going to ask this to you now, That passion, which flipped over into all kinds of experiences and emotions that were so painful at times, felt like it was the glue of my calling at the time, the glue that said, you need to stick to this. And whilst I'm here, you're not going anywhere. You know you're not. As much as you're talking about, oh, I'm chucking in the towel, I'm doing this. You're like, no, it's not going to let you rest. Because if you do chuck in the towel, you'll be straight home, probably in the nets. And you'll be like, what am I doing yeah, here? Yeah. What am I doing yeah. in the next? It's like, no, it won't let you go. No matter how much you're complaining, it's part of you that says you're supposed to be here doing this. You mm-hmm. don't have to understand why, apart from that energy that's sticking you to it, is that passion. Do you look back now and think, actually, could I have actually ever left this during that period? Do you think you could have left it? Well, if I could have, I would have. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I remember just after I retired, Andy Hurry, who's the director of cricket at Somerset, ex-Royal Marine, he's become like a soulmate. He's a ripping person. I love him. He's one of my great friends. But he came out, he brought the England under-19 cricket team out to West Australia. He was the head coach. And he asked if I'd come and talk to the boys about the journey, I guess. The first question after I'd presented to the boys was, what was the highlight of your career? Pretty standard question, right? And I've got this urge from my toes all the way through my body to say, and I didn't say this, was the day I retired. Now, I couldn't say that because I thought I can't ruin these kids' dreams. 
But that was the initial, the day I retired because it was almost like, oh, I didn't have to put up with all that pressure anymore or call it pressure or call it doubts. But it was such a strong instinct for me to say that to the boys. But now I look back on that and I think, no way. Like, I wouldn't leave that for anything in the world now because it's opened up these incredible opportunities for me to know about myself and get through things and understand people and understand myself and understand how the world sort of works. Like, and if I hadn't go through some of those really hard times and those self-doubts, then I wouldn't be the person I am now. I wouldn't be talking to you now. No way. And, and I wouldn't have been the father I am now. And I wouldn't be the coach I was a few months ago. And I wouldn't be the friend I am now because it's like if someone says to me, describes what honey tastes like. Now, we can describe it as much as we want, but until you taste honey, you don't know what it's like. And it's that's life. I love to talk to other ex-international sports people or other head coaches because they actually, we've walked in the same shoes and, and we get it. We, they get it. Whereas a lot of people think they get it, but they don't get it because they haven't walked in the same shoes, right? And this is going to sound a bit horrible to say, but I'll say it. But there was times, one example, Steve Waugh, for the first time in his whole life, he was going through a little bad patch. He got out just before a game in Johannesburg, just before stumps, and I walk onto the team bus, and he's there, he's got his cap on, he's got his sunglasses, he's got his tracksuit pulled up. He was really sitting there looking out the window. Now, I'd felt like that a hundred times. I'd never seen him feel like that. And I went up and spoke. I said, mate, how are you going, Captain? He goes, oh, yeah, not feeling that great, actually. And I remember saying to him, Mate, this is going to sound really horrible, Captain, but it makes me feel so good knowing that you feel like this as well. <laughs> yeah. And, Johnny, I think we, we spoke about this a year ago. One of the greatest things I ever read in my life was something I read in your book because it made so much sense to me. You talked about the snooze button on your alarm clock, that if you had to get up at 7, you'd set your alarm at 6 so you could keep pressing the snooze button so you didn't have to get out of the comfort of your bed. And I'm going, fuck, this is Johnny Wilkinson saying this. That's how I felt my whole career. And I was just a mere mortal. I was just a guy plodding along trying my best. And Johnny Wilkinson felt like that. And Steve Waugh felt like that. And I've seen Adam Gilchrist and all the greats. So we, they're all human. They are all human. And I'll never forget also a, a young kid by the name of Robbie Baker. Robbie Baker was this good-looking kid, really talented cricket. He got chronic fatigue syndrome. And it ruined his career. And at the end of my career, we were sitting at a hotel one day. And I, I mean, I have a glass of red wine in my hand. And Robbie Baker said to me, JL, I just wish I was as mentally tough as you were, mate. And I'll never forget. I put my glass of wine and I looked and I wanted to give him a hug. And I said, mate, if only you knew. If only you knew, Bakes. Like, I had all the same fears, insecurities, doubts. The day I retired was a great relief. I had it all, but I just, I guess I learned strategies to get through it. Yeah. And life gave me those strategies, you know, and that's why I was happy that I just kept going. I was never going to walk away from it because I was learning so much, but it's hard. We're human beings and we don't like to feel uncomfortable, but high performance is so uncomfortable. Yeah. It's really cool. That snooze button was four o'clock. <laughs> and then, really? yeah, yeah, it went, it went four o'clock. It was always three hours before. And that gave me then two hours more sleep before I woke myself an hour before and then half an hour before and then 15 minutes. It was ludicrous. But there's something about that intensity that's telling you, like you said, until it's not asking you to go again, 
it's holding you there for a reason. It's it's powerful. It's it's saying, okay, you know, you've got work to do here because otherwise, like you said, there comes a decision that came in my life where you go, no, you know what? No, I'm out. And you can justify it with things like age and everything. But then you look back and think, well, if I'd just done this, I could have, you know, I could have easily improved and hung in there and I would have been, but actually, you know, the truth of it is that whatever it is, the calling, the passion, the it's not there enough to say, go again. And there's yeah. a trust in that to say, this is no longer where I'm supposed to be. And understanding that for me then sort of reveals the next calling, like you said, whether it's coaching and we sort of so harden ourselves for saying, oh, you know, I, I didn't manage to hang in there. But it's actually like, no, there's a, like you said at the beginning, a real degree of awareness and listening to the deeper messages. And I spoke to another guest about this who was saying, you know, that understanding that your life's not about you. Maybe this is something you're meant to be doing rather than you trying to own it and say, right, you know, this is me doing this work and I'm causing this. And actually just to say, this is, I'm serving in a way, but just not, you know, in the way that I pictures as a kid that I'll be doing it with the most wonderful smile on my face. And I'll be like gloriously flowing my way through hundreds every game. You're kind of like, no, that's not, maybe yeah. that's not the point. Maybe for me at the moment, this is what the point is. You mentioned about that opening up and being honest, it sounds like with some people close to you and the difference it makes when you have the humility to just realize that it's not that it's just okay to talk about it, but this is part of the calling as well. If that urge is there to feel like, you know, I want to share this, and it feels uncomfortable, but it's like, well, how powerful is the drive to do it? As part of this journey as a player, this may be where we cross over a bit as well, is that playing side for me was interesting that you mentioned getting dropped. And now when I got dropped, you mentioned your reaction to it. My reaction sounds like very similar in terms of the intensity of the end of the world stuff. But it also felt like for me, there was so much of my self-worth involved. And I think that's why I wanted to run. You know, like you get dropped and someone else's opinion is that, you know, you shouldn't be playing or someone else should be playing your place. And yet it hits you on a level that for me anyway, made me want to run. Like something was desperately wrong, you know, with me. And as much as I wonder what it would have been like if I did, I didn't have that capacity to just say, oh, interesting. Right. Just yeah. get better. What does it matter yeah. if I'm going to go in the nets and no one sees me for a year? But when I got injured, I trained the day after a neck operation a serious neck yeah. operation. I was on the bike just because myself were saying this isn't okay. And I wonder if that's also part of the voice that keeps you to your meaning, but it's also a bit of a misinterpretation or a mistranslation at the level of self-worth whereby it doesn't matter on that level, but it feels like it does. Is that something that was knocking about with you and your playing career? Absolutely, mate. Like, well, there's a couple of things also. One is that the day I retired or the day before, I just knew I knew absolutely 100% was the right thing to do. I knew I'd given everything. It was the same when I resigned from the Australian coaching job a few months ago. I just knew. It's just like there's no question. I knew that's what I had to do. And what it tells me, and I've said this for years, I believe this, you've got to listen to your heart mm -hmm. because your heart will tell you. And even though I can look back at it now and say, oh, I was going to give up, I was never giving up because I wasn't, that wasn't the time. But then I go to another point that you make is imagine, Johnny, if we could have been at that place and go, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. This is a learning opportunity. And I'm sure it's because our ego holds us back from letting go and being curious and sitting and just going, yeah, you know, this really hurts at the moment and I'm angry and I'm sad and I'm, but that's okay. That's cool. Like I think it's not until you get wiser and you meet great people and 
guides that you get to that point. And even now, if anyone asks me, how are you right now? And I'm going, I'm not sure I've ever been happier in my life. I love every single day. I'm very, very excited for the future because if this is my life and I keep doing this and I'm seeing my family and my friends and I'm learning and I'm doing some things I love doing, I'm being with people, I'm so excited for the future. But I've got some really deep scars from the last 12 months. So what I'm sitting here, but I'm, I'm so much better now going, yeah, that's okay, that's good. And it's okay to be angry. It's like grieving. It's, it's okay to be angry and it's okay to be sad and it's okay to be jealous of people who are in the right. And it's okay. And, and it's like rubbing ointment on the wounds. And they're, they're like battle scars. I know they're going to make me better and wiser. And the fact that we're talking about it now, I could easily hide it and be depressed and not want to walk out of my house. But I'm, no, no, I'm really proud of what's been. But there's some scars. And I'm a lot wiser to let it go. That's about living and learning and letting go and, and having a crack, have a crack, like get one chance at it. These almost sound like cliches, but have a crack at it. Do it with passion. Do what you love doing. And all the critics, yeah, don't worry about it. That's the thing when you say it sounds like cliche, but not when you back it up with a discussion. The words have a different meaning, a different kind of energy when you're exploring I think with vulnerability and humility, but also with depth, then that cliche is empowered by that depth. But on its own, when you meet someone and they say, oh, God, you're really struggling. You've got two seconds and you say, just go out and have a crack. You're kind of like, it might work. But actually, if we could have half an hour to talk and realize at the end of it, it's still the same space. Do it or don't. And if you're going to do it, do it as all of you or find what is more exciting to you and do that as all of you. But when you mentioned hanging in there, I think that's what, certainly for me, you kind of, you hang in there with whatever you've got at that time, whatever comes to mind that keeps you hanging in there, knowing that if you stay and you keep giving yourself to it fully as whoever you are right then, the relationship is going to sort of find itself. The formula is going to line up on both sides at some point. And you get that moment where you just sense that anything's possible. And this is what I've had is that we speak about this, about the in the zone kind of space. But it's funny because the sense for me was anything's possible and everything's possible. But actually from the outside, it doesn't look immense. No one does anything superhero based. You know, no one does anything that is suddenly, oh my word, you know, this is like from a different planet. It actually looks quite, just normal but the internal experience i just know on a deeper level i can't say from a conscious level you know just mind wise that oh i know i'm going to do this but deep down you do something and you you think yeah this is what it feels like mastery in a way and it may only last for a couple of minutes and then yeah. suddenly it changes and you're in the fight a bit but you just know in that moment the, the two sides have lined up and whatever's been the work and that moment has been the moment and suddenly you get that mastery and you think right okay I need to, like you said, listen, be more aware. The acceptance thing is incredible. You know, the awareness followed by the acceptance, you know, oh, I'm feeling this way. And then the acceptance of, but it is what it is. And and it's good. At, you know, it's, this is part of it. Just hang in there with a sense of curiosity and what have you. But then that moment kicks in. I'm really interested to see what does that in the zone feel like when you've got a bat in your hand, you've got a small ball coming at you at ridiculous speed or ridiculous spin or whatever it's doing. You've got people around you, crowding you, and yet you just hit a ball that's traveling at 90 miles an hour in the middle of a bat. I mean, how do you do that 
And what does it feel like when you're right in that space? I think the word mastery and simplicity go hand in hand. So I played first-class cricket and international cricket for, I don't know, 25 years. I played cricket as a little kid. I will say right this minute, and I haven't picked up a cricket bat for, to play a game of cricket for 15 years. If you ask me what I learned about mastering the art of batting, and I guess it's the same with mastering the art of concentration, which was much more interesting to me at the end of my career than yeah. the cover drive or the pull shot. But if you ask, what was it? I say, okay, there's two things. The moment the ball was releasing, if my head was over my little toe, like I told Cameron Bancroft, and I say head forward. So for me, if I head forward and I see the ball out of the bowler's hand, I didn't get out. Uh, right, okay. There's two things. I was thinking about this this morning. You know how you had your posture before you kicked and that became part of Johnny Wilkinson as we saw. Well, So as a batsman, I used to do this funny little posture, I guess, where I really turned my head so that both my eyes and my nose were pointing at the bowler. And all my mates take the mickey out of me because, <laughs> oh, you know, they do the – when they yeah. impersonate me, I, but I did that and that was – because I knew that was me getting my head forward. And then if I saw the ball released out of the bowl, it was like slow motion because my body, like yours, was a computer to batting. It all came down to two things. If I had to go and play a test match tomorrow, I'd go to bed tonight thinking, okay, I'm going to give myself the best chance by putting my head forward and see the ball out of the bowl of sand. And everyone goes, it's not that simple. No, no, it's not that simple. But over years and years and years, I learned if I did those two things, that gave me my best chance of being successful at batting. And the other thing was that I learned if I was happy off the field, I usually had success on it as well. You said two words before, which pretty much mean two of the most powerful words in the word for me. So there's two lots of two powerful words. One is truth works. Truth works. Yeah. So Alex Ferguson told me that. The other one is let go. Let go are the two most powerful words I know. So I get to the middle. If I get my head forward and I see the ball and let go of everything else, I'm fine. And I was happy. And you're only really happy off the field when you let go. Yeah. Let go of stresses and worries. And it's amazing how different life can be. That's really interesting. Those two, for you, those real mental sort of cues that you used gave almost that permission to go into that space of some kind of, of letting sharp, go. yeah of letting go where awareness is sharper I spoke to a good friend of mine as, as a coach sort of similar to things that I do and talking about the feeling realm where suddenly then you switch over from trying to work out where's the ball what am I going to do to just it clicks you into a space of I'm connected with the ball it's yep. not a time thing where the ball's going to bounce and get to me. It's I know where you're going to be and I'm moving as the ball's moving. You know, kind of like it's all just perfect symphony. It's just yeah. here it comes, there it is. And yeah. it's like even the noise, it's like a kick. You kind of go, yeah, yeah, it's all just there. And what have I done? I've just stepped out the way. And whatever helps yeah. me step out the way. And that single-minded focus is a brilliant way of when I give everything to that, everything else has to go. And then almost as you get close to the action, then that goes as well. Those two focuses go. So you use them to get you close and then they have to go as well. And then you're in that space. But whilst you still got stuff in your mind going, okay, this, 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 you're like, no, it's the opposite direction. I used to say, Johnny, that 
the only thing that mattered, and it's a bit sad really, but when I was still a player, the only thing that mattered in my life was the cricket ball. Because if I saw it out of the bowler's hand, then that meant I'd get into position, I'd hit the ball in the middle of the bat, and if I hit the ball in the middle of the bat, I'd make some runs. If I made some runs, I'd get selected. If I got selected, then I'd get a contract. And da 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 it all came down to the cricket ball. And that's a bit sad, but my whole life for that whole period really came down to the cricket ball and just being at one with the cricket ball. And I often say to kids, what colour is this cricket ball? They go, oh, it's red. And I go, no, 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 what colour is the cricket ball? <laughs> and they go, they look at it and go, oh, yeah, it's red. I go, no, no, it's red and it's white because the seam of the ball is white and the leather of it is red. And I say, I wanted to get to a point where I was watching it so closely that I see the white in the cricket ball, not yeah. the red in the cricket ball. Martina Navratilova once said, she was still playing when she was 47 years old. I think she goes, well, the tennis ball doesn't know how old I am. <laughs> it's like the cricket ball didn't know how old I was, how many doubts I had, what had happened the week before or the minute before or in, in two months' time. To, you talk about mastery and simplifying things. It was so much about the ball. But when you go into coaching or parenting, it's about the people. Yeah. So you put your attention like you do into the ball, you put your attention into my people. And if you simplify it like that, that helps you achieve whatever success is that we measure. Okay, I really want to explore that relationship side with other people now as well. But just maybe before I do, the kind of interesting thing you mentioned there about enjoying yourself off the field had a, an effect on it. And I wonder what comes up in me when you're saying that. It's about the self-worth idea. Is suddenly rather than it be a kind of, for me, as it was a large amount of the time that, okay, I have to abide by these rules because who I am is not allowed to express itself. I need to sacrifice that in order to be whatever it is I need to be, I, not me, in order to succeed on the field. And it was always on the field, I felt like I was me expressing myself, but before the game, I wouldn't allow myself because it's almost like from a self-worth perspective, it's not okay for me to have fun. It's not okay for me to engage fully in something else, which isn't to do with reading notes before a game or doing two and a half hour sessions and all this kind of stuff. And I think one of the things that feels like it's changing in performance is this commitment to that side of things now to say, you've got to enjoy every moment and not sacrifice others because this future moment's going to be the most important when you get there, you realise that it's not. And certainly when I've got to the end of my career or certainly injury points, you look back and think, actually, every moment's vital. And if mm. I keep swapping out 95% of them for some five you know, immense ones, even those immense ones, when they happen, you go, it's great, but this isn't a lifetime's worth of happiness here. This isn't mm. enough. In fact, even tomorrow, if I get in a bad mood because you know, someone says something to me or I read something in the paper, I'll look back and be like, it wasn't even enough to last me the next day. Yeah, you know, all that works. So you sort of go, well, hold on. Enjoying every moment is practicing embracing the moment on the field. And it's a really tough one because it feels like it goes a lot against kind of conditioning and also against the feelings you get. Like we said before, when you're intense and you're passionate about something, you do get nervous. And that nervousness almost makes you feel like, okay, I've got to go and shut down, I go and sit in my room, do this. But actually, like you said, sitting with it and still being able to say, what's the most exciting thing to me right now? even with this feeling going on, I might just go and have a wander over there or I might go and watch this DVD or I might go and speak to that person and still being able to follow that excitement and passion 
express as much as you as you can. How is it trying to work with so many people who are coming at life from so many different spaces who are all looking for that self-worth connection that gives them that feeling on the field of being able to do anything? Mm. But you have to kind of somehow find a way to link them all up when actually looking after someone might actually work against someone else. And how do you find that? And where does preparation come into all that? So this is, again, so complex. But what I've learned as a captain, I don't think I was a great captain because my expectation was everyone had to be exactly like me. Yeah, that's really interesting. Be super fit, train hard, be serious, da 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 So I don't think I was a great captain, but, geez, I'm glad I wasn't a great captain because it taught me so much about being a coach and a parent. And the greatest thing I've learned, I guess, in coaching is that I have four daughters between the ages of 25 and 16, and all my daughters are so different. So that very fact tells me, well, if my daughters who have the same upbringing came from the same place are all different, well, everyone of my players is going to be different. So you're going to treat everyone differently. I think where a lot of coaches or a lot of leaders come unstuck is they want to treat, because it's easy to try and treat everyone the same, because it takes time to build relationships and treat everyone differently. And I think the poorer coaches or the poorer leaders, they want to have this blanket that everyone's the same. But that's not life. So it's not life. So you can't do that in a cricket team or a rugby team or in your household. or It's not life. So that was a great lesson for me. I'm glad I wasn't a great captain because – it made me a better coach. And parenting has definitely made me a better coach. Yeah, that's really cool. I think you mentioned before with the power of honesty. And I think in terms of that for me is I captained when I was younger and I'd agree completely with you in terms of I wasn't a great captain. Exactly the reason you said, just because it was kind of like I was based on a set of ironclad values that were personal. Yeah. And they had nothing to do with anyone else, but they were my truth at the time. I wanted them to be everyone's truth. (laughs) And so I just imprinted it upon everyone else. But later on when I was a captain, right at the end of my career, I think I was better because the truth I had was that I realized I had to care deeply about these people. And I, if in all honesty, if someone said, what do you really think about that person? I maybe don't care for this person as much and therefore it's coming out. I realize it's in my decisions. It's in everything, you know, little tiny subtle bits where I'm kind of like, I prefer you because some part of me says, you know, you're better or you're more worthy. And I'm kind of like, this has to go. And that for me was a personal kind of journey more than anything that I had to let go of my own story about me in order to let go of my stories about them. I I don't know, you know, how does that shape up for you with a team where you've got, like you said, lots of big personalities, you're living their own worlds and doing their best in their own journeys. And yet, you know, you can see that it's challenging. I've always believed that well, what you say makes perfect sense. The other, one of the other learnings I've had is you are not going to be best friends with everyone. That's life. And you know, as a head coach, it's hard. You're going to make some tough calls and not everyone's going to love you. As long as they respect you, that's fine. But you're not going to be best friends with everyone. But I also know this in great teams that camaraderie is the glue that keeps everything together. And the more you can harness that and encourage that, and that comes through relationships. In Australian cricket in the last six months, we've lost 
some really special people. Rod Marsh passed away, Shane Warne passed away, Andrew Simons passed away, Dean Jones passed away. And if there's any silver lining to what's happened is that the brothers have come together. (laughs) They've come together, mate, and it's like we're helping each other get through it. Like we did on the field, we help each other get through it. And that's one of the brilliant things about team sport. You've got an opportunity to build some really deep bonds and they become like your brothers. And like, I'm not sure how you feel, Johnny, but the guys who I played with, particularly in that great team I played with, I spent more time with them in my life than I did with my two brothers and my sister. Yeah. They are my family. And that's a really important thing. But there's some that, you know, we're just different. We're just different personalities. We still respect each other, still play with each other. But what you said made perfect sense then. Oh, maybe I don't pass it. To my, <laughs> this is how I describe it, right? Oh, that camaraderie. If I'm in the schoolyard with my brother and he gets into a punch up, I'm jumping in and I'm going <laughs> right. to fight yeah. with everything to look after my brother. And that's why I always say how important it is to be a good sports person, but it's as important to be a good person and build friendships and then people will back you up. If you're not, you burn bridges and you're not, a, you know, what we would describe as a person of integrity or a person who cares or a person who's selfish or arrogant, guess what? It's going to be a lonely old life on the field and off the field. See, when you said you're not going to be best friends with everyone, that triggered something in me quite quickly because I feel like that's what I I wanted to be. You know, I had a part of me that needed to be kind of like the best at everything, and that included being everyone's best friend. But you're right. That's a bit like saying being joyful is always smiling. It's like, no, joy is much deeper than that. And actually caring for someone means being best friends with everyone. It's like, no, it's deeper than that. You can have those times when you don't see eye to eye but underpinned by that, like you said, that deeper respect is what matters. And there's times where, you, like you said, you're in a team with someone, you know, we're never going to be mates at this time. We're not unlikely to phone each other and be like, let's go out for you know a dinner tonight, you and me, and let's have a good chat. You're like, no, it's probably not going to happen. But actually, surprisingly enough, later on in life, you meet someone, you're like, hey, let's go out for dinner, you and me. It's, it, it's like, it evolves. But at that time, it's enough just to say, but it's all good, you know. And you mentioned before about the critic side, because... Really interesting. I think that so much of what's so challenging on the outside is so challenging because it's exactly what's happening on the inside. Like you get criticized and you find that really tough, but actually you look inside your own mind and you're doing it to yourself in the same way. I'm interested now in terms of that journey where, you know, self-worth at the heart of it, maybe, and there's all this kind of stuff going on. And you're looking for that kind of relationship with yourself and with your sport and with the ball and that clarity and simplicity. But so much of it does seem to fall in the hands of how I'm seen, how people are seeing me, how people are thinking about me. And the world we live in today, I wonder if that's been exacerbated by all kinds of different channels for everyone to have their view heard. You know, before it was almost maybe once in a blue moon, you got the paper out and it was like oh someone's written that here's a big challenge but now you can't go anywhere without hearing what someone thinks and if that triggers you you're going to be triggered pretty much 24 7 in the world we currently live in it's one of the great challenges there's a couple of things one in leadership if you try and please everyone you please no one yeah 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 and again i think the poor leaders you're not sure what they stand for as long as you know what you stand for and as long as you know what you're about 
as long as your friends know who you are and your family know who you are, that's all that matters. The rest is noise. I was in a West Coast Eagles, who are the AFL football team. I'm on the board. It's a great professional personal experience for the last three or four years. And I resigned 12 weeks ago. And right at the moment, for the first time in a long time, the West Coast Eagles Football Club are under enormous pressure. A bit like Saracens a few years ago, right? Who I'm, yeah. But I'm sitting in the board meeting and there's, they're saying, oh, what about what he said and all this, all the newspapers? <laughs> and and I just sit back and listen to it. It's just noise. And I'm laughing about it. I'm going, hey, don't worry about it. But 12 weeks ago, it was literally crippling me. Yeah. And my family, because I'm going, I can't believe they're saying this. And you take it so personally. But when you step outside of it and you look back and you go, it is literally noise. And just because Joe Blogg says it doesn't mean it's true. It's just their opinion. And then what happens, he'll have an opinion and then everyone else will jump on, oh, did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said? He must have said that. And then all of a sudden half-truths and third-truths and eighth-truths become reality. (laughs) But it's not real. It is not real. Truth works. And if you know in your heart what the truth is, as hard as this is when you're going through it, there's an old Bible verse that says the truth will set you free. We've all heard that. But it's actually so powerful. If it is true and what they're saying about you, you know, do something about it. If it's not true, well, you know it's not true, so don't worry about it. My very wise grandmother once said to me when I was younger, like I used to go to university and I'd go for a year and I'd go at lunchtime and she'd make me, and you'll laugh about this, Johnny, but she'd make me cheese and pickle sandwiches, right, <laughs> with the butter was about a centimetre thick, the cheese was a centimetre, the pickle, and, and it was always white bread, and I'd go, Nan. I'm trying to get my skin folds under 50. Like, what are you doing? And she'd give me a cup of tea and a big bit of cake. And she goes, no, no, it's good for your soul, darling. Don't worry. You know, just this once. And every time I went there. But she's a wise lady. And I'd go to her back then because I used to, like, analyse everything and worry about everything. And, and she'd go, I'd go, oh, Nan, I'm really worried about this. She goes, oh, is there anything you can do about it, darling? Oh, yeah. I go, I go no, there's nothing I can do about it. She goes, well, don't worry about it, darling. Hmm. Well, then other day I'd be there, I'd go, I'm really worried. She goes, is there anything you can do about that? Yeah, there's something I can do about it. Well, don't worry about it, darling. <laughs> and it's so simple again, but it's such good advice. If it's in your control and you can do something about this, do so. If it's out of your control and it's someone's opinion, it's all, nothing you can do about it, so don't worry about it. But if I could do anything different throughout my career, what would it be? I said, I wouldn't worry so much. I'd still stay focused. I'd still train hard, but I wouldn't worry so much. And I think it's really important advice for people. But again, that comes down to wisdom and letting go and living a life of peace. I write that in my journal every day. How do you want to feel? I want to, I want to feel at peace. And I think if you don't worry so much, you don't worry about what everyone else thinks of you and you know you're a good person and you know what the truth is, well, then you live a life of peace. Until that day, there is nothing peaceful about life. So that transcendental meditation idea and also just listening to what you're saying there about the critiques and the criticisms coming in from all different angles. Now, for me, I definitely found that tough when I was playing hugely. And I look back now and think I found it tough 
probably on all kinds of levels. One, because it was almost going wrong for me because my idea was, as you said, trying to please everyone, trying to be respected and having this bar set where if someone said you were great, then you were great. And that was with a job done, ticking the box. And if they said you weren't, then you were failing on some part. And so it hurt me in that respect. The other reason it hurt me often was because I think sometimes I wasn't able to be honest enough to say that I agreed with some of it. Yeah, that's true. And I, yeah. and I was kind of like, oh no, oh. I, I think they're I think they're onto something. Oh. And and I can feel yeah. it. And and I don't like that. Yeah. So I'm going to fight back even harder. And then there's the other part where you do look and go, no, it's rubbish. <laughs> it's just not there. But often I think it was that part where you did kind of agree with it or even on the first part when you know when it's working against your feeling I want to be so successful and making everyone feel a certain way but when you said what can you do about it what I found was initially there was so little I could do about it and so it was kind of like I'll try not to worry about it but I kept worrying anyway but then that meditational aspect was kind of available to me the whole time I was going through that but instead it was like oh what can I do about it uh nothing I can't control the outside well what do I do about this inside oh well I'm just going to put up with it instead of actually explore it. And there was something I could have been doing the whole time. And when you say at peace, that for me is the journey. I feel like, wow, I wonder what would have happened if I'd have been ready, which I wasn't. And as we said before, you know, maybe I wasn't supposed to be to just sit with curiosity. Wow. I'm feeling this way right now. That's interesting. And to take time out, you know, get injured and say, I'm going to take six months out. Yeah. But what happens if people play in your position and you never get back in? It's like, but I need six months. I need that time. I'm wondering with that transcendental side, what's that given you in terms of your life and, and what's the most important thing in, in life for you as of right now? So what meditation taught me was about, we all have thoughts, we're all human, all the things that we are talking about, everyone experiences it. I think the Dalai Lama would experience it. Mm-hmm. I think Gandhi would experience it. I think everyone would experience it because we're humans. We have all these thoughts every day, but what meditation has taught me is that you come back to one focus, which is breathing or a mantra. Yeah. And you let go of the thoughts. You let them go. You just let them go. And that's, to me, life. And let those two words again are so powerful. Let go. Let go. Let go. Be. Just be. And it's really funny you just said then, Johnny, about I needed six months injury time. Well, that's where I am right now in my life. Yeah, good for you. And, And people keep saying, what are you doing? And I'm going, well, I don't know, I'm just living. I'm just living a life. The day after I retired, there was all this speculation I'd come and coach England, the England cricket team, right? But no one asked me what I thought about that. Oh, you're not important, are you? What does it matter what you think? No, 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 <laughs> no one asked me what I thought about that. And now I'm just, at the moment, I am taking my time. And I'm, what I'm loving most right now is time and choice. Time's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's finite, really. For, and I've seen that, the perspective, but... I've got time on my hands and I've got choice. I'm 51 years old and now most of my life it's been about, I'm going to be the best coach in the world. I'm going to be the best cricketer in the world. And you know, I really focused on that. But now at the moment I'm going, okay, what is next? I'm not sure, but I love a project and maybe a project will come up. But my project at the moment is my family. Two weeks ago, my 25-year-old daughter, I said, are you guys cool? Like to my wife and my eldest sister, are you guys cool? Like, I'm not doing that much at the moment. I'm really happy. I'm not doing much. And my daughter said, Dad, are you joking? She said, we haven't seen you for four years. (laughs) And then she said, actually, Dad, I haven't really seen you for 25 years. Wow. He's asked me to be here. It was almost like my daughter giving me permission to be happy Yeah. because I keep fighting it. Oh, 
is it okay that I'm just waking up in the morning and I'm meditating and I'm taking the dogs for a walk and I'm going to see my friends and I sit at my desk and I drink my coffee and I, I see my family and my daughters cook, you know, my wife cook beautiful food every night and I go and potter in the garden and then I, I'm writing a book at the moment. It's just, are you guys cool with that? Because that's not the perception of what I am. I'm out, I'm working, working, working. Yeah. I'm focused. I'm the Australian cricket coach. I'm a Australian cricket player. I'm the coach of West Australian cricket. I'm, and that's why I'm in my life. And even you can see it. I'm going getting all fast thinking about it. But I feel so happy. And I'm just taking my time. And it's a nice feeling. It's a nice feeling. And maybe it's taken me 51 years to get to that point. But then the other side is you and I both know better than anyone. Maybe we wouldn't be at this point talking to each other like this. I love looking back on that. You know, I've had great experiences. I've got great memories. That's what life's about. I've got great friends. That's what life's about. I've earned respect. Hopefully that's what life's about. And maybe it's taking me to now to go, okay, now it's just what's next. I don't know, but I'm in no rush. I was always in a rush to play. I was in a rush to play test cricket when I was six years old. <laughs> yeah. And then when that finished, I was in a rush to be Sir Alex Ferguson, only the best coach in the world. I was in a yeah. rush. And now to not be in a rush, oh, man, oh, it's such a nice feeling. And I'm happy. I'm happy. So just to come to yeah, the close on, on you know, so much we carry on talking about, but you mentioned at the beginning the list of I ams. And you mentioned also there was a few in there. You're kind of like they're so constant. They haven't changed a bit and they were the ones around the things you just mentioned, family, friends and health, health, exactly. And those things, as you said, you're happy paying time and attention to those, but it also sounds like it's moving closer to the eye when you say, I'm just being, I just am happy. And the concept of patience in that space, self-awareness, listening to yourself, but also facing that challenge that's saying to you all the time, you should be out doing this. You're not out doing this. And self-worth has always been, if you do this, then you'll feel this. But it's like, well, what if, what if I don't do that? What if I sit and just see what this is like? And to come to an understanding as I am now with the fact that whatever I do next, when I feel that calling for something as I am in here, there'll be new challenges. And each time I come back home to that I space a little bit more, it's like, well, can I take a bit more of this understanding with me next time into that next challenge? You know, like, am I going to have the short memory syndrome and where I'm going to forget this amazing time I'm having through my patience and realize that actually this happened before I really wanted it. It did work out. It didn't work out. And then I had an amazing time afterwards. Oh, interesting that it didn't define me. It didn't matter. Am I going to take that with me onwards? And I'm just wondering in terms of growth and even coming into the perspective of like a life well lived you're making the most of every moment knowing that you know i'm sure there'll come a point when you might want to get back into whatever it is you want to do and how you want to do it when that moment comes what is that starting to mean for you now i know you mentioned talking about looking with family and friends but an overall picture of taking things on again and you know even taking on what you're taking on now what's growth mean how does that all fit into a life well lived and a moment well spent i think the definition of courage, and I've just thought about this now, the definition of courage and wisdom, and we get better at it, is being able to let go and be when you're under pressure. Beautiful. Not when you're on the beach and you've... No, 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 that's there, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, and I, look, I mean, when I first started playing, there was two guys, there's in the Australian cricket team, there's Mark Taylor and Mark Waugh, 
between the age of 23 and 27, all the way, it was just proved to them that I could bat because I didn't think they could bat. You know how much pressure that put on me? Mm. Even most recently, there was, you know, he's so intense and, you know, he's an intense coach. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I've been intense since I was 16 years old and I'm comfortable in my skin. I know who I am. I, I'm not a social butterfly. I like my own time. And, and people say, oh, you know, you, no, no, people have success in different ways, right? And I'm happy. I'm comfortable in my skin. And that's been a very important part of my growth over the years because too much of your time you spend trying to be something that you're not. And that's very hard to be at peace when you're doing that. And I guess a great learning of the last little bit is we use that word values. And in the Australian cricket team, we had values, right? But actually I've learned just in the last few months is that maybe they're not values. They were just my expectations as the head coach or one of the leaders of the team. They're not values of everyone. So those values were honesty. So my expectation is that we have honest conversations and we're meticulously honest with ourselves, a great challenge like we talked about before. My expectation is that we have great mateship because that's the camaraderie, that's the glue that keeps together, as we've discussed. My expectation is that we are learning because in the Australian cricket team, the mantra was always, if we get up every day looking to get better, we can get better. So honesty, mateship, learning. My expectation as the head coach, guys, is that we have humility because winning isn't everything. People don't care if you win. And if you carry on and you're bad sportsman or you're arrogant or you behave badly, no one really cares. Like, so humility is really important. And I also said my expectation is that we're professionals and we've got a good work ethic because no one's good at anything without having a good work ethic. So I look back and we used to say, well, they're the Australian values. No, 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 that's bullshit. They're not Australian. They're my just expectations. My values are my family, my health, my friends, and I guess I value being the freedom of having an income. You know, we can eat nice food or we can whatever we want to do. So they're my person, they're my value, and I know they're my values and they're what are important to me. So right now, it's a great time in my life. I go, okay, you've got some time and choice. Are you really true to your values? And how are you going to make that work? And you know what, Johnny? I'll look back on, I've said I've got some scars from the last 12 months as the Australian head coach, mainly because of the, what I would say, the media stuff. I'm really proud of it, though. I'm so proud of the last time because I was under enormous pressure personally. My ego was getting smashed. I felt like a punching bag. My strategy was I'm going to stay completely silent. I'm going to have real dignity and I'm not going to fight back. I'm just going to go, okay, no problem. I'm just going to live with it. And we ended up winning despite all that. We won the World Cup and we won the Ashes and we were the number one team in the world. And then despite all that, and I'm really proud of that. And the other thing I learned about life in the last little bit, and this is so critical, I think, for anyone listening to this, and we've we've touched on it a lot, but about eight months ago, it was a Friday, I was here before I went away, and there was a lot of talk about me in the media, and my wife and my brother, so my two best mates, and we're having a beer on a Friday night before I'm going away, and my wife was saying, I just wish all, all your mates would stop talking in the media, backing me up. 
<laughs> because what happens is it fuels the fire. Right. Fuel, and I said, darling, I can get sacked. I could not care less if I get sacked. You've got no idea what it means yeah. when my friends, who also happen to be the all-time greats of Australian cricket, still work in the game internationally, are respected as people. They've got my back. My friends have got my back. And there is so much power in knowing people have got your back. If you've got no people at your back, you achieve miracles. And that was a great lesson. And I go back to it. As long as you know who you are and your friends know who you are and your family know who you are, that's all that matters. The rest yeah. is noise. One more thing I've got to finish with is because you said it. Yeah. You said this, right? <laughs> and I, I might have mentioned it to you, but a lot on this theme. You were being interviewed by Michael Parkinson. Right. Right? Please don't take this as verbatim. But he said something like, what made you a great player? And you said, which I found incredibly powerful and wise, you said something like, Michael, you are the changing room that you walk into. And I had great people. And that made so much sense to me. You know, I would not be here talking to you without great people and great teammates and great changer and great environment. I wouldn't be here. And the other thing, I wouldn't be here with great mentors. And one of the things I know about those great mentors, which is, contrary to what people often think in this modern day, those great mentors were the ones who were the hardest on me. Yeah. They told me the truth. And at the time it was hard, but now to this day, they're the ones I respect and I love and are my best friends in this life because they cared enough to tell me the truth. Yeah. I don't fall into this rubbish about, oh, you've got to be careful with the young guys. We're not saying about being confrontational. We're just talking about telling the truth. And I wouldn't be here without those great mentors and that great changing room that you talked about to Michael Parkinson all those years ago. Yeah, I agree. When people tell you the truth and you can see in their eyes, it's because nothing else they're telling you because they want it for you. It's not about asserting a kind of hierarchy or a dominance. It's just they they look at what you want and using everything they've got, they say, how can I help you get there? And here's what I think. It's not a case of like, oh, you know, I'm going to tell the young pup what the deal is because I'm the old. But there's an overriding message. This is really powerful. You mentioned it just in the last answer. It's just that stop trying to be you know, something you're not and be true to yourself. And it's kind of like almost feel like you can get lost in that journey of trying to be something you're not because of a misconstrued idea of who you are that you then link that to who I'm not and you get lost in that journey. But as you mentioned with the transcendental meditation, with the reflection, with the pause, with the patience, with the coming back to the I am stuff, life is a journey of gently bit by bit revealing a bit more of who you really are. And that I think is the two separate journeys, that humility you mentioned to just be on a journey of revealing more of who I am rather than to come to a conclusion of this is who I am. And then to go out there and say, right now I'm going to pretend to be it. And you find that actually I'm pretending to be something I'm not. There's that deeper thing, which is so, so key. And it's the bit that, as we mentioned at the beginning, underpins everything, but it's just never going to be a finished journey. My great friend, and he's like my second father, Nigel Ray, who owns the Saracens or was the chairman. I I stayed with him when I was 18 years old by great luck, I guess. When I was first dropped from the Australian cricket team, he said, write me a letter, and it's up on the wall in my back room, of course, but... He said, life is a series of ups and downs. It's not a straight line, but hopefully in an upward direction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
And they're powerful words, and that's true. I mean, you're going to have ups and downs, but as long as you're learning and living and curious and getting better. It's an upward curve, yeah. It's an upward curve, right? Beautiful. Justin, thank you so much, mate, because I know, you know, geez, it's, you're giving us an hour and a half of your time and it's, your passion speaks uh, immense stuff and I can't wait to see where your journey goes. And if you'll let me, I, I wouldn't mind uh, sort of checking in with you every now and again. <laughs> any, any day of the week, my friend, any day Beautiful. of the week. Oh, that's so cool. Thanks, mate. Just uh, just a ripper. So that's it for another episode of I Am. It's brilliant to be sharing this unfolding experience with you all. If you'd like to get in touch with either me or the guest, then all the information you need is in the show notes. I welcome all and any feedback. I really want all of you to have a hand in guiding the feel of this show and the path of the conversation as well. So just keep them coming in. But until next time, I'm Johnny Wilkinson, and this has been I Am. This show is brought to you by Mags Creative. The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Assistant producer is Alex Macy. Before I go, I want to say a final thank you to the sponsors of today's podcast, Vitality. For me, the secret to a happy and healthy life is about living consciously, And when we can align those little things we do and decisions we make every day with the life we really want to live, it really makes a difference, which is when the team over at Vitality comes in. Their comprehensive cover enables us all to live a happier, healthier life, whether it's through offering discounts on gym memberships at Virgin Active, Nuffield Health or Pure Gym, or on activity trackers from Garmin, Polar and Samsung. For me, I've been an ambassador with Vitality for several years now, and undoubtedly the feeling of true support when someone cares about you and your health and your quality of life, it makes a massive difference. So you can take the small steps to make the meaningful changes. Head to vitality.co.uk for more information. Terms and conditions apply.